the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 159, recorded Friday, September 5th, 2014. If it's not on Netflix... Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and, inf- and information. Easy for me to say on a Friday afternoon. Uh, how are you? My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us this week is Mr. Christopher Netto. He works for AV Help Desk, but he's also the founder and um, chief everything at, uh, at AV Shout and Red Band. How are you, sir? I'm doing good, Tim. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Also with us is Matt Slack, that gentleman right there. Uh, he is with avsolutions.com. How are you, brother? Hey, doing great. Excellent. Uh, and last but not least, Mr. Michael Shen. How are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Uh, Michael is with IMS Technologies. Uh, there's a reason for having you guys on, and, and first and foremost, before we get started, uh, I would like to, for those of you watching video... Uh, that's uh, Matt and Michael on the same page there. I didn't plan it that way. Uh, good looking photo, Michael. Good looking photo, gentlemen. Um, let me see you too, Matt. If I you can too. find uh, Neto here. Um, I'm in the back page. You're not in the right, back page. Right above the want ads and classifieds. There's a there's a there's a rag in St. Louis called the Riverfront Times, and the back page has a totally different meaning. Um, the <laughs> there's Mr. Neto uh, and a bunch of other folks. This is the brand new copy, my brand spanking new copy of Commercial Integrator Magazine. Uh, that guy right there is a really cool guy from Red Thread. But uh, you guys are on there, or in there rather, as the 40 under 40. This is an all 40 under 40 uh, episode of AV Week. So congratulations. And congratulations to you, Tim. Ah, whatever. Somebody's got page one. Somebody, yeah. Somebody's yeah. got it. Yeah, Matt, Matt's like, hey, you, you, you made the top of the list. I said, no, my last name starts with A. If you'll notice, Brandis was number two. So you know, I don't know what that means. I see a pattern. That's yeah, I see a pattern. Captain obvious. In in programming world, you know, there's a system there. Just, never mind. Anyhow, all right, let's get, let's please get this show started. Uh... First up on it, uh, from residentialsystems.com. Not a, 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 a magazine we do a whole lot with, but we should, actually, because a couple of our friends write for them. Uh, but this one is how Jeff Cassard is bringing AV manufacturing back to America. The system, uh, the story goes on. It's by uh, Lindsay Adler, somebody that we've, we've had some dealings with. Uh, she's a, a reporter for Residential Systems and some others. Goes on to talk about how how they're bringing you know manufacturing back to the U.S. Uh, Netta, Mr. Netta, we will start with you on this. How big of a deal is it uh, that the AV components in our systems, whether that be for you know government or or for you know you work a lot with, with pharmaceuticals and, and you know Fortune 500 companies, how big of a deal is it where the uh, where the products are made? Well, in the government space, it's imperative. I mean, at least it was that way. Um, 
in my early uh, career working with a video conferencing uh, integrator, specifically strictly video conferencing. In order to sell the video conferencing gear, uh, they had to be made in the United States and on GSA and all of that sort of jazz. Um, the bigger deal is look at what's going on in Michigan that aren't American made anymore. Uh, a whole state's collapsing. So, <laughs> uh, from 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 an industry perspective, can we keep the jobs here? That'd be one thing. But that's uh, me standing on a soapbox. That's where the importance lies on the government side and the corporate side. Uh, not so much. Um, you know, if they want their TVs from Samsung or Sony, you know, they want their brands and where they're made. It's typically not a concern, but it's more of a, a concern on, on definitely in the in the government arena. Well, and, and Michael, Chris brings up a point. You know, there there are certain things that the government can say. Hey, you know what? That certain percentage of these have to be made in America. Good luck finding a flat screen, right? Good luck finding certain components that that have been manufactured in the U.S. So, are, are there just certain things where you know people like you know the, the government and other folks who who you know this is an important thing, um, where they're going to have to do some some giving uh, and some compromise because there are certain components that just simply aren't made in the U.S. anymore? Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that there's uh, certainly some products out there that can bridge the gap where they may not be 100% manufactured in the United States, but there could be assembly in the United States okay. uh, or at least repackaging and reshipping. I know that there's a couple of display companies on the West Coast who, while all the components are manufactured overseas, the assembly actually still takes place inside of a factory in the United States. So um, I think that, you know, overall, uh, you see it more in the federal side of things and, and some state contracts that will require a certain percentage of componentry uh, to be manufactured in the U.S. I think that the bigger story here is we're bringing jobs back home. Mm -hmm. um, far too often in, in the AV and IT industry, we've shipped off so many jobs overseas. And then what is the U.S. making anymore um, other than debt? So I think it's a, a great opportunity for, for more jobs within the industry. Yeah, absolutely it is. Tim, just yes. to back on what uh, Mike just said, a few years back, uh, I don't know if you recall this, but there was a major problem when the ports in San Francisco were on strike or out in the West Coast were on strike. The, the, the dock workers out in the West Coast went on strike for some reason. You could not get a plasma screen because everything that was needed to assemble that plasma screen was coming over from the other side of the world. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, even stuff that's done in, in here, it wasn't being made in here. The glass, I think, was what they were looking for at the time. So having something built in the United States, truly manufactured in the United States, would be nice. I mean, you know, when you're talking about government contracts that are looking for stuff that needs to be here uh, by this certain date because whatever the sensitivity of, you know, why they're getting done, it'd be nice to have something ready in-house, you know, for lack of a better analogy. But if you have something in-house that could uh, be shipped out quick, uh, soon or quicker, it would be great. Yeah. So, so two Absolutely. other – Good point. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Uh, two other points that I think are really important. So one, I think coming back to the U.S. is kind of a misnomer, right? It's a good headline, but there are a lot of manufacturers that still have either pieces – whole or in part, they're already made in the U.S., and uh, which is why we've been able to continue to do business with the government. Um, and then secondly, a really important point, 
looking at how AV and IT are so closely related, and really we the AV world largely serves the IT community at this point for most of the industry. If you look at what the greatest concerns are for CIOs and IT, I mean, in the last week and a half, what major company hasn't been hacked? So we don't tend to look at security in AV the same way that I think IT looks at the security, which is all fine until our AV devices connect to their network. Yeah. And now we're essentially subject to the same security issues that the IT world is, and we have to pay attention to that. And that's where I think made in the USA, controlled in the USA becomes even more crucial. That's a very good point, actually. I, I didn't thought of that. So, and just for the record, we have not been hacked. So, of course, we're not a major corporation. And, 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 and I have no pictures of naked celebrities. So, you know, <laughs> just want to throw that out there. So, never mind. All right, uh, moving on. Uh, from our friends over at uh, Commercial Integrator, or who will, not Commercial Integrator, uh, uh, CE Pro, who we will see uh, this time next week, actually. Um, I guess slight programming note: If you're looking for us uh, on the live stream next week, we won't be here. We will be in uh, Denver with at, at, at Cedia, uh, which is where I why I bring this up here. Uh, they are talking about let's just let's say it, it's it's the DIY market, right? It's the DIY uh, control market. And Matt, we're going to kick it off with you because you're the smartest programmer on this very program. Um, are, are we should should people like uh, Crestron and AMX and, and some of the more pro manufacturers, let's call them, without you know getting uh, you know anybody from you know Savant or, or Control for calling me up and yelling at me, uh, the more you know professional grade or, or professional um, slanted companies worry about this whole DIY, uh, or or should they just go and you know uh, put all their chips in in that basket and say hey yeah groovy you know we're all we're all at residential i mean it comes down to it's a business it's a business level decision you know who are they selling to who are their buyers how are their buyers able to sell those products so i mean if you're going to go after the you know diy market that's fine there's certainly plenty of models there but if you're going to be the the top end the premium end of things then there has to be some point at which, you know, there there's some safety barrier between those two markets, which is why Crestron, uh, I forget the date, but it was in what the 90s. Their software used to be publicly available for anyone who owned their products or didn't even own their products, and they pulled it back. I mean, that's part of protecting a market that feeds their sales. Where I really think they're missing it right now, and I think the AV industry has an opportunity. You know, the integration community is talking about the need for reoccurring revenue, and we have clients and users who are more and more putting information, data, sources, video, you know, not on our laptops, not just on our phones, not just on a DVD, but it's in the cloud. And so the opportunity to build a, a small device that is control for an entire system and content feed for an entire system and put it behind a TV or above a projector is a killer opportunity and then it can operate on a license-based model so that there's reoccurring revenue potentially for the manufacturer and for the AV companies and it's consistent with the types of models that the IT community because we're plugging this into their network is accustomed to and so I think that there's a big opportunity there in, in where we're getting our data and how we're presenting it within the systems 
And as far as how do they work and who programs them, you know, a really complex system is going to take a professional and everything else is going to get simpler and become more, more DIY. All right, Mr. Neto. Uh, I'm not going to ask you for a counterpoint, but what, but, but your, uh, your, your feelings should, should, you know, should Crestron be an AMX and the other ones be, be worried about DIY? No. Well, there well, you go. Never not. mind. <laughs> Thank no. you. Why, that is the shortest would... answer you have ever given in the history of being on this show. Well, it's, 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 it's grassroots. It's my, my, the way my head thinks is if you're going to have these DIYs, you're not just targeting, you know, the, the guy who owns the home that wants to do this. DIY also goes into the young kids, and the young kids are the future of our industry. Give them the DIY, give them the Tinker Toys, give them the old Radio Shack electronics-type things to play with, and eventually they'll work their way and they'll get into our industry and become, you know, actual programmers as opposed to just, you know, DIY hacks. Now, nothing against DIY because what they're doing is they're, they're the ones that are pushing the envelope on a lot of different things. You know, they want to connect your refrigerator to your car and, you know, and, and, and into your air conditioning system at home. You know, they, they'll think out of the box. So I don't see anything wrong with DIY. I don't think Crestron has anything to fear. And to be honest with you, look at the IT industry. You know, they bring in, you know, all these people from Kickstarter, you know, from the Kickstarters yeah. to the uh, guys that, that sit at hackathons and just try to break things because that's how they fix things. So I don't see anything wrong with, with DIY, and I don't think they have nothing to fear. All right. All right, Mr. Mike Shin, you get the last word on this. Uh, where where should you know the the the, the pro control guys uh, and gals be standing on DIY? Well, I hate to be the only naysayer, <laughs> but it looks like I, I might be. Um, you know, I, I I see the the influence of the DIY DIY already hitting just at Infocom this past year with Crestron releasing the RMC three and several products that are launching with it. Um, and and the RT series, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of all-in-one solutions that they're trying to push out there. I'm not in the residential market. Uh, I've never worked in the residential market, so you know, I can't really comment one way or the other as to, to how this is good or bad or different for the residential market. But I do see it influencing the commercial market, and it certainly is going to, at least myself and my colleagues, concerned about what's next. Because you're right, uh, you know, Chris and, and Matt, we are looking for the revenue streams um, and a big portion of those recurring revenue streams are in the labor to perform certain services and if we are eliminating uh, you know the the programming piece because we're going to be able to have someone who's 23 24 years old fresh out of college you know XYZ corporation or school calls up uh, IMS and says hey we want to purchase these boxes and then just drop them we all know that the margins on our equipment isn't exactly what it was in you know in 2001 to be able to sustain operating costs and overhead. I mean, I'm concerned because our margins are built into our labor, built into the professional services that we buy, uh, and part of that being a, a level of software development, uh, the control systems that we do. So I'm I'm not saying you know, it's all bad. I'm just saying that it's certainly something that the pro side of the industry is going to have to figure out, uh, okay, if that's another pocket of money that's disappearing from our margin, where are we making it up? Um, because, you know, obviously recurring revenue is, is important. 
you know, programming changes in the form of current recurring revenue. And I don't want to necessarily say that we can't change with the times. It's just we need to define what the next step is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, before we move on to... Yeah, throw, yes. throw one more thing in there? Absolutely. So I think the key question, too, is what are we programming? Because, I mean, if you look at the practical side of if we're programming in a new display, it, that's retarded, right? I mean, every one of us right now is on a computer. When you go to plug your computer into a monitor, did you have to call a programmer to, to be able to send your video to that computer and have it work right? with your computer and the monitor? No. So, you know, there's certain infrastructure type things in the industry that they're only keeping those opportunities because, you know, it, it feeds people like us because that's just the thing that we do. It's not going to work. As the younger generation comes up, they're not going to put up with it. They're just going to stop using those cumbersome backwards things. So, you know, I, I really agree with Michael that, you know, there's a space where Programming is going to matter, and there's a space where it doesn't. And those who are going to specialize in the spaces where it's providing value are good. And those who are still focused on just ho hum, I'll build your AV system with X amount of programming, you know, I think we're already going to. I think we're already in the middle of that transition, and it's going to happen more quickly than we may expect it as an industry. Do you think though that that's for for more the the uh, consumer end user direct sales? And not maybe the larger systems like the 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 um, oh the multi-purpose rooms, the banquet halls, the divisible rooms, stuff like that. Or is is it going that way as well for them? I think it's both because you know you're doing so. We only do commercial spaces, primarily conference rooms, whatever size, shape it takes on. And again, we're dealing with IT, and IT is always working under two constraints: they don't have money, they don't have time. So having to call a programmer to get a minor change done doesn't work and support and provide value to the IT uh, community. So what do they do? They're going to look for workarounds. So maybe for different motivations, but ultimately to the same outcome, I think the DIY and the commercial community are headed to the similar places quickly. Yeah. Well, to add to that, I've not seen many commercial jobs just come with an, from an out-of-the-box system. I mean, aside from what Crestron and Extron pa package together in these, you know, what they call a DIY, you know, classroom systems where it's plug-and-play with your speakers and your and your panels and stuff like that, still involves a bit of programming knowledge to get it work up and running. Um, I've seen it. I've been in the corporate side now, uh, on-site with corporate people. Uh, for the last 10 years. Uh, you're right. They're always looking for that off the shelf, out of the box, get it in there because that's the IT mentality. You know, computers at one point were a serious piece of hardware. Now laptops and the way, you know, you go in with a computer problem, they, they pull out the hard drive, replace the shell, and you're back up and running. This is an argument that's been had in, in, um, in various circles, I mean, most recently in, 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 in a couple articles that I was reading where it's like, where's the, where is the battle between AV and IT? And I think it's the mentality of how things are served uh, or serviced. Um, IT people need things done quickly and they want that off-the-shelf stuff, but we are in the business of custom integration. You know, custom is still custom, you know. That's, there's, that's there's never really a battle when there's a buyer involved if there are other options, right? Because the buyer is going to pursue their other options, and if there's a path of least resistance, they're going to go for it. And so if, if we're fighting 
an IT industry, and it's because we're not providing the value that they want from us. And there's kind of two choices, either provide the value that they want, or they're just going to work around it because it's their money, it's their decision-making power. Here, the, the perfect linchpin to this argument, Apple TV. That thing comes up in every conference room design question setup that I'm involved in. And everywhere it comes up, there's always that same argument. We'd love to have it, but you can't have it because you still need to support it and allow people and, and user access. And that's why, you know, we're seeing such a, you know, the, the wireless display market booming in the commercial side of the business with Barco, with Crestron, with with, uh, with Christie and all that is they want that feature, but Apple TV doesn't provide the security that they need on a corporate setting. So, you know, every time there's that battle of, you know, well, we want the convenience of an Apple TV, which they know how to do and plug in at home. You bring it into the corporate environment, it becomes an issue. There's, I mean, this is just, it's the beginning of, we can have a whole show on this one, Tim. Yes, I know. <laughs> but it's also not our battle, right? Because it's yeah. a security issue, and that's an I, that's but an it, IT precedent. It's part of our battle, though, isn't it? I mean, anything we have to, and, and we're, hang on, we're gonna we're gonna bring somebody else in because it's another forty under forty. I'm not gonna say how close to forty she is. Uh, her name's I'm a Courtney. long way from forty. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, yeah, she's twenty. <laughs> Uh, Courtney Govra from uh, All Systems. She's in my neck of the woods in Kansas City. How are you, ma'am? I'm very good. Sorry, I was late. That's all right. Uh, I was what I was going to say is, doesn't isn't this kind of our battle though? Because anything we have to plug into our systems and make work, that's kind of our battle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would disagree with the point that it it does not like custom. It in the custom space. Um, so like in the programming space, we call that a one-off. When you have a one-off, a one-off means I have to manage that development cycle, I have to manage the separates, I have to manage the differences. If you're in the IT world, most of what I've experienced, and it may not be what you all have experienced, is they don't like custom. They, they like to know that this is a standard operating system. It's something they can engage with. And they don't mind paying for expertise. They don't mind RMR. They don't mind the concept of having someone with a uh, software maintenance agreement or something like that. That makes sense to them. That's how their world works. Um, we've been pretty successful in that type of space with the RMR because we've just kind of come back and said, what do you want and how do you want it? And then we go back and built our RMR program around that. So a standard SMA and then you attach some service level agreements with it of what level of help desk you're going to be, that's what they want. And do they want to control their old world? Yeah, because they want it standard space. They want to be able to work with it. They want to be able to engage with it. So it is kind of like, I mean, my dad always used to tell me, you have to do what the customer wants, not what you want. Because I used to like to make the systems really fancy. The fancier they are, the harder they are to manage. So. Yeah. I have a real quick question, because this is not my world. What is RMR? Recurring monthly revenue. There we go. Okay, that 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 I understand. Thank you. Yeah, it's the it's the transition that every integrator has to make. You have to make the transition away from being focused on a project. So I make revenue off of a project, and that's a one-time thing. It costs a lot of money to get to that project, and then you have to find a way to make the so I don't. It balances out cash flow. Is probably the easiest business definition of RMR. It's good for both sides. Okay. All right. Very good. I've learned something new. I can go home now. So, 
I'm I'm not kidding. I I, I understand the 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 uh, the the recurring revenue. I just I'd never heard the RMR uh, acronym. It should be so. a whole show. It it probably it, should it probably should be a whole show. Honestly, uh, if if you went to the the BLC the NSAS BLC, it was an entire segment with uh, oh Dan Newman and I keep forgetting the other guy's name. Um, Matt, you were there, and and Mike, you were there both. Do you remember the other person that was with Dan? Uh, yeah, me neither. <laughs> it was impactful. It was impact. Well, he uh, was impactful. Yes, yeah, Dan did a great. Dan just did a great uh, yes. presentation, like last week. By the way, did he? Uh, totally worth going and looking up if you're looking at RMR type type issues. He he really laid out a framework well for how to begin to think about the problem. Yeah, he's that's that's one of his um, that's one of his battle cries right now is is you know integrator that's that's what you where you have to go so um, all right uh, okay so let's th- this is a, a okay it's a FIFA story it's a it's a manufacturer story but I want to use it as kind of a, a kickoff for something else right uh, Harmon basically was the audio provider for FIFA for the for the World Cup yay World Cup yay 2014. Yay, um, my, my team didn't win, but you know, they have pretty orange jerseys. So, uh, <laughs> uh, I got really into Netherlands for some reason this, this time around. Anyhow, um, not that I wasn't excited about the USA. Yes, they, they got farther than they probably should have. So, um, anyhow, so here's the question and, and, um, actually Courtney, since we'll, we'll start with you on this, this was a huge deal, right? I mean, the, the fact that, that Harmon was like, this is, you know, this was not some small thing. They got this huge, massive contract, uh, and it, it involved lots of obviously, uh, you know, worker hours and you know, talking with consultants and talking with designers and stuff like that. How does AV help this? How does IMS? How does you know the, the, you guys? You know, how how do you get involved in in projects of this magnitude and and, and pull it off on a relatively I'm not going to say seamless or, or painless basis, but how do you pull something that, that is this massive off? Or, or should it be something where you should take an honest look and say, you know what, this, this is not us. You know, this, this is not our, we shouldn't do, you know, we shouldn't do something this big. Uh, I guess the first part of the question is, is how can you pull off something that, that is this significant uh, as, as providing the audio for FIFA? Well, I, I, I loved the FIFA. I watched a bunch of the games. I, I'm a big soccer fan, so when you brought up this whole article, I thought, well, maybe we go into a soccer conversation because it'd probably be easier to cover. But, um, you know, there are those moments as a business. I mean, my brother and I own the business together, and there are those moments where we look at a project and we just say, do we have capacity? Is, does it meet our goals? And is it something we can accomplish and serve our customers in the way we um feel they need to be served. We have one of our we are statements, our value statements is we are in pursuit of clients and not projects. If this was just going to be a project, then we're not interested in doing it because mm. I don't want to just install other people's stuff. I don't want to just be the integrator. I want to create a long-term client. It costs a lot of money to obtain the client and long-term I should own that client as own is a bad where I, I should I should be able to partner with that client going forward. Can I get that to that RMR stream? The second aspect of that is, from a business owner's perspective, I look at it as, is it a marketing opportunity? Clearly, this was a marketing opportunity, though I never saw Harmon one time in any of the games I watched, and yeah. I watched a lot. So from an end-user perspective, I didn't see it, but from an industry perspective, it probably was a good thing. But I, I would have never done a project of that scale. 
that's not our that's not our thing anyway here's the thing i i I agree with you because i i did i I watched a fair amount myself i don't think i ever saw um Uh you know the the brand name of the speaker or or the other places where Harmon was so uh very good points mr shen when uh when it comes to you know ims where where how do you guys decide you know where where your limits are or you know how do you evaluate projects uh, well, we, we do a little bit of both, actually, both of what you were talking about, Tim. We, we do a little bit of the, um, we're going to have to take a pass on this, but we can refer you to, you know, somebody else in the industry who's uh, experienced in doing this and is very successful at doing this, uh, and we've done that on several occasions, yet at the same time, it's a rather poignant question for me, because we are in the middle of a very large installation that's uh, very technical, um, uh, not not necessarily just large in terms of scope with you know number of spaces or what have you, just the amount of equipment that is going into one particular space. It's probably ten times the size of our average transaction, um, you know, a, over the last three years. So uh, you know, we we knowingly went into that opportunity, diving you know head head first into the pool, hoping we were going into the deep end. Um, and the way that, that we the approach was strategically we needed to partner with some independents who knew this space, who knew that particular type of product, called the manufacturers and got them to refer, um, you know, the experts. And we brought them in underneath the contract and made sure that, you know, we allocated for that cost and justified to the customer why we wanted to bring those individuals in. There was no you know, uh, a smoke and mirrors game with our customer about whether or not we had done this before. We told them, you know, we've done smaller versions of what they want to do, just not to the scale. We think we're capable of it, engineering-wise, certainly capable of it, project management-wise, sure. Um, whether we had technical talent able to configure, program, and deploy was something that we didn't feel 100% comfortable, but we had, thankfully, the relationships with the manufacturers and with uh, uh, third-party contractors to be able to pull it off. And it turned out to be uh, something very, very sweet that, you know, we're looking to market, we're looking to to uh, put out there as uh, as a crown jewel. And we've now taken that first step, and I, I used it for my team as a learning experience. And so many of our technicians now have, have, been, have learned so much from these other parties that now we'll feel that much more comfortable when the next opportunity comes available. All right, Mr. Slack. Woohoo for third-party providers. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> chuckling because Matt and I are both those people. You know, we're, we both have uh, independent programming houses. So when you comes to, let's say that 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 uh, that Mr. Shin comes to you and say, "Okay, dude, here's this project. Uh, how do you how do you uh, how do you assess that and make sure that you guys are are the right ones for it?" Well, I, I love his take on uh, you know honesty is the best policy. Basically, being forthright is really crucial and I think knowing what you're good at and knowing where your boundaries are is the next because sometimes I see even myself and and other people we forget to look at what our limitations are and out of wanting to not lose an opportunity or wanting to help somebody you may overextend I think it's really important to start by just an honest evaluation of you know what are you good at what are you not good at are there people you can partner with and, you know, once you've kind of assessed the situation more objectively with your team and key stakeholders involved, then, you know, you make the call that you need to make and, and you be honest with the customer about what's going on and what the options are. Uh, you know, I, there are a lot of big opportunities out there, but I think um, just in media and in life, sometimes those grandiose, you know, David Slays the Giant kind of stories uh, cause us to think more emotionally about the situation rather than objectively. 
And uh, I would just recommend uh, resources. The, the manifesto, uh, the checklist manifesto is an excellent book that kind of talks through how really large undertakings are planned and ordered to be successful. You know, it's a great it's a great read when you're looking at something that's larger than what you're accustomed to to help you think thoughts that you might otherwise miss in the emotional response. Okay, uh, Chris, you, you're in your in your in your day job with AV Help Desk. Um, how would you? I mean, because you you have a little different setup, right? I mean, you're you're technically the consultant for for one main client at a time, right? So yes. <laughs> if they came to you and said, okay. Here's what we want to do, and we have a hundred million dollars to do it, and it has to be done in six months. Do you? Do you how would you? How would you? Um, how, how would you go about that? I guess the best way to put that. Or was it one of those things where you would say, "Okay, that's a great idea. I'll be right back with about a hundred of my friends." Well, after, I, after, after that gets dropped on my lap, a project of like this. Uh, there's no way I can not be emotionally attached to it because I would be all about the number one most viewed sporting well, event yes. in the world. That whole part of it would just be way too enticing for my head because though I have a technical side, there's a side of me that's the marketing side going, oh, my God, can we? Should we? Until I get down to the nitty-gritty and you start seeing it's seven stadiums. And they award the project X amount of years ahead of time. And once you start adding in all the factors of, construction people that you can't control their schedules and there's seven stadiums being built at once in another country uh, reality will start setting in that okay fine I speak Portuguese I can go there I can go <laughs> would, yes. I'm gonna have to go live there lose my you know lose everything I have here but I'll, I, I will try my hardest to get it done that's you're the, you're the only one of the five of us that could say that by the way <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I that emotional side of me is going to just tearing apart of the fact that I shouldn't be touching it, don't do it. And I've had conversations with people, you know, like our friends at Harmon, at, at these companies, and, you know, it's not for everybody, this type of project. You know, this type of project, in conversations I've had with one, one, one of our favorite guests, um, you start at the minor league systems, I guess, with yeah. this. You know, you go to do the high school ballpark. You go to do the your community college uh, football stadium, and you work your way up. I don't see, you know, the, you know, jumping off the diving board into the <laughs> into the deep end with freezing cold water for just about everybody on this one. So, at some points, your common sense will will settle, and you're right. All the business process, you know, the, the business ideas come into it, and you start thinking maybe I can go out to resources, and that's something that our industry. You know, with the freelancers and outside providers and stuff like that, yeah, we have that ability. And that will start creeping into maybe we can do it. And the thought process is, is excruciating. I think this is a two-week, you know, like sit down with the whole team and can we do it? Is it a reality? Calling manufacturers, can we do this? How can we do this? How can we guarantee this to happen? Um, yeah, there's no way I can't be emotionally charged about something like this. You want to give it to me now? I'll do it right now. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there is apparently a soccer match in Kuwait still um, happening. Not for very long. Oh. Not, not uh, 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 Doha is the the next uh, 
World Cup, and they're in all sorts of little problems right now. See, I heard, I heard that uh, if was it, if Kuwait, if they if they nixed it from Kuwait, that the U.S. was for some reason going to get it. So, well, there's always the fallback. But well. um, in speaking with somebody who was in uh, in uh, Doha for uh, a, a fair amount of time, uh, our friend Bill, um, yeah, Bill. Was over there working on a on a government contract for I don't know 12, 13 months. He actually saw the process of the stadiums being built in the frenzy, and there is no infrastructure in that country, and they're building soccer stadiums. He says the walls are not straight, but they're going up. This mm. is what scares me to death. You know, it's like you look at the way they build and how they build, and you're you, it's not the same construction practices we have here. He's looking at concrete structures being held up by like two by fours as they build up. I'm like, oh my god, dude. Chris, sounds like you need to get out there to do the audio system, and yeah. you just need to bring somebody that can translate from Portuguese to Arabic. Yes. I, I would definitely be thrown out of the country within five minutes. <laughs> not the way I can handle the pressure like that. No. Yeah. Yeah, that's... He should not go there. I'll just put it that way. All right. Let's, let's, move, let's move on before we... Yeah. Northeast uh, mentality doesn't work very well overseas. Uh, or down. Yeah, Chris would never be confused with with an ambassador. Let's just put it that way. All right, that's the uh, Jersey in him. I yeah, that's the Jersey. That. Well, you know, I was gonna say that, but um, all right, okay. So here, here's this crazy thing, right? One thing that CE Pro has gotten really good at the last six months or a year is is finding these crazy patents. Uh, and they kind of they, they dissected one for ping, which you don't know what that is. There's Crestron has this new thing called ping. Nobody really knows what it is until CDN next week. Um, I don't even know if anybody knows what the logo is. Uh, but here's another one. It's a new Crestron patent using, get this, photovoltaic shade material for powering motorized shades. Now, I, 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 I saw that and I'm like, are you kidding me? And then it started hitting me. There's this thing called lead, right? And... Most likely, every one of us, including you, Matt, you and I, have still had to mess around with LEED. LEED certification is 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 the Green uh, Building Council for uh, the U.S. And, and if you get so many points and stuff like this. After I saw that, or after I read that and read more about that, this is freaking genius. If this really happens, right? Because of the the uh, the power saving and this that, and the other, and you, shades are involved in daylight harvesting and some other stuff. But you've also got a, a power supply built in. Uh, Chris, are there any drawbacks or any gotchas maybe? Or is this maybe just something that good old Mr. Feldstein drew up before he, he, uh, he retired? Uh, is this one of these things that, that may or may not happen? Well, tinkerers must tink, and yes. he's a tinkerer. He's a tinkerer. You know, so to come up with this sort of an idea, I think it's, 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 it's great. I don't, why didn't I think of it? But at the same time that I saw this patent on the same – at the same – in the same week, you send me this link. I'm reading this, and I go to one of my uh, websites that I like to grab some, you know, far-reaching science um, ideas. And there's a company that's also working on adding those solar photo. I don't even know how to pronounce photovoltaic. It. Photovoltaic uh, <laughs> cells into glass to go right on the sides of office buildings. Oh wow! Yeah. I mean, harvesting, harvesting, dude. That's that's genius. Can it work? I'm sure it probably can. Is it going to be expensive to figure out? Most likely. It would sell like hotcakes to to, uh, to a lot of these businesses. I mean, uh, they're lining garage spaces now. Not garage spaces, but, you know, outdoor parking areas with 
the uh, the solar cells and they're harvesting as much as they can and you know they're they're seeing returns on that. I see nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great idea. I just want to see it happen. Yeah. It's not going to be at CD next week, is it? Uh, you know what? I probably well, put it past them. It that that's probably the the ping. I don't know. That's uh, it could that, be that's ping. ping. That's ping. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because I'm actually going to see those folks next week and they're just going to give me a hard time. Although they are the ones that called us out on the ice bucket challenge, so I can give them a hard time back. Uh, Mr. Shin, is this something that's, that's viable for what I mentioned, the whole the whole lead certification? Uh, or am I just shooting when at I, points here? When, when, I, when I first read the article, um, I kind of laughed to myself and I was like, whew, thank God we are saving those 450 watts it takes hey. to put the shades up in a room. <laughs> But but I no I'm serious that was my immediate response. But then I started thinking about it. I'm like oh well okay yes it's going to get me the lead the lead points which you know I'm very familiar with. Uh, any new construction project is always going for that lead certification to get tax breaks to be able to to, to promote themselves and market themselves as a green organization and a green space. Uh, so that is absolutely part of it. I think what what is bigger here is if Crestron is able to harness this patent and develop the technology over time. They might be able to be a power source for other products than just the shades. Mm. They might be able to, you know, channel that into other aspects of the system. Now you're really getting into some serious lead capabilities and returning that power back to other aspects of the system and building. Uh, you know, forget about just the shades. This is this is you know the the small step for man, uh, one one big leap for mankind uh, approach to really harnessing uh, solar energy in a corporate environment that doesn't have really ugly panels all over somebody's uh, uh, roof or on the walls or, and in the in the case of our Philadelphia Eagles here in, in Philadelphia, all over their stadium with wind turbines and everything as well. So, you know, I, I think it's uh, it definitely has some huge potential for for product development going forward all right now courtney you laughed at his joke uh and it was the eagles reference it was the eagles reference now well i was gonna say you have a giant's hat back there by the way go go bears um i i am i'm a jersey relocate so you know uh, i deal as best i can nobody here is a, a buffalo bills fan are they no good that's buffalo has a team that's hey Hopefully yeah, not this weekend. York, but we don't consider them part Wait, of. What either. color are they? Uh, blue and white, I think. So. No, they're red, white, and blue. No, I know. <laughs> I know. red, white, and blue. Courtney, Courtney's, Courtney's calling from the safe confines of, of Chiefs, Chiefs, uh, nation. So. Yeah, it's Red Friday. They're all wearing red yeah. all over my office. So. That is one of the neat things about. Ah, why am I getting off on this change? That one of the they're in really good football towns, which I do not live in. I live in St. Louis. Uh, they do stuff like Red Friday um, in in Kansas City, Chicago, and, and Denver, and places like that, and in Oakland. So yeah, the, being cool. in in Kansas City on certain Fridays uh, during the fall is a really cool thing. Now well, that being said, about uh, City is that you get to use your SPL meter all the time and and, and see how loud their stadium gets to. Uh, well, hey, <laughs> at least they don't uh, at least they don't artificially increase it like certain Seattle teams. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> um. Courtney, photovoltaic shades. You left at Mike's joke, which, which he 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 had a good point. You know, it's not the 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 voltage that you're saving is not a huge deal. So, is it more the viable thing for for the lead, or is it just a silly little shade? 
Oh, I, I thought it was brilliant when I saw it. I thought it was funny. You, you all were kind of thinking it wasn't cool. I think it's brilliant. If you look at a building, and I mean, just from a construction standpoint, to retrofit a building, I assume would be very expensive with the panels. If you could put it into the shade and I didn't have to run a cable to the shade and it could be controlled, I think that's pretty cool. We have a hospital that actually controls their shades with the nurse call button. They have one of the buttons is changed and programmed and they put the shades up and down with it. It's a it's a huge thing in the hospitals because, you know, you have this whole patient experience aspect and they're trying to make the patients happy and heck, if I could power the shade. What I really thought was interesting from reading, I love to read patents, it's a, a sick um, addiction, but the uh, what I really think is interesting is the IP strategy behind it. I don't think very many systems integrators look at their ability to have an IP strategy. We see ourselves as tinkerers, people that are going and creating something new each time. We're doing something because the client helped us or asked for something and then we designed it and we don't understand the real value of what we're doing from an IP strategy standpoint and we've been driving down this path for a long time. I think a lot of times we say it back to our manufacturers and we say, hey, this would be cool if you could do this. And then the manufacturers go and write a patent and they then own the patent and all of the royalties and subsidiaries and everything that goes along with it. But if you really think about us and our value to the industry, it's that we have our hands on things. We have the ability to put things together. And if you take something that's already created and use it in a unique fashion and a different format combined with something else, um, one of our patents uses a tractor fan and a box. I mean, it's very, I was like, this is patentable. And they're like, yes, and it's cool. So. I think that the strategy behind having a patent is as important as what's being patented in this story. What else are they going to use it for? How are they going to gain value going forward? Those kind of things are what gets me excited. And I did think it was a very cool patent. I wanted one for my house. Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah, that, that, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, yes. Right, right off the bat, they attach this on Mike's idea. They take the power that's coming off of that. They attach it to their rack fans. They are cooling their racks, now getting double the ability and it doesn't take much to, to amperage to to, no. to get the rack fans going. I mean just from that idea alone that's freaking cool. That's nerdy cool. Oh, oh, man. You pattern. said freaking it's fine. Uh, I said nerdy cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh very nice. I forgot the hey. pun. Uh, all right, Matt, Courtney mentioned controlling this. Um, is this something that, you know, if it's being powered from <laughs> here's the thing, if it's being powered from the sun I mean, how are we going to control it then? Is it just going to be another relay or an internal relay, I guess? Infinite EX, baby. Oh, bite. Yeah, whatever. Well, uh, I mean, Crestron's making it, right? How else do you yes, think it's going to be Yes, I forgot. I forgot. I mean, that's, that's how it's going to be controlled. Thank but you. I, I love the idea, that. but I think they're going to have some practical problems in creating it at this standpoint in time, just where technology is. I mean, price aside, you know, the sensitivity of those cells is really rough. I mean, to the point that you can run a whole house or business off of cells on a roof, but if a power line casts a shadow between the sun and those cells across a whole roof full of panels, it reduces the ability of the panels to produce like dramatically. I mean, like you're going from like 80% of the power they're producing down to like 20. I mean, it's, it's really drastic. And so You've already got this shade that's not actually indirect sunlight. It's behind a window. So I think on the practical side, these are probably a ways away from, from being realistic. But the idea is good. Yeah. 
all right, one last uh, story before I let you all go and enjoy uh, at least most of our football weekend. Uh, if you're in Buffalo, I'm sorry. Um, or in St. Louis, I'm really sorry. Uh, so here's the last story we've got here, and it, uh, it's from uh, uh, Electronic House. There are, according to, to, to Rachel um, Saracola, uh, there are over eight. There are, she lists eight Ultra HD 4K, and you have to put that slash 4K in there. Uh, TVs over 70 inches. So here's the question, and, and um, was it last week or week before last? Uh, Best Buy just started selling the LG uh, 4K curved uh, deal. Um, Mr. Neto, are we entering the the post 1080p era now that that we're getting more and more of these Ultra HD slash 4K displays uh, in virtually every arena? Um. Before I answer that, mm-hmm. Samsung today was on Mashable Tech Notes yeah. today. $260,000. You can own the Samsung 105 LED whatever screen it is that they have that does the auto curve. So that's the answer to your, what's the point of curves? They have an automatic curving screen. Flat oh. and it will curve in slightly. But for $260,000, you can have one. Chris, grab an extra one for me when you pick one up. Please. Yeah. <laughs> I got four. That, that's outside. one of those. Hang on. That's one of those that you hide in a project somewhere. And, yeah, never mind. I'll wait till it's done. Woot for 180000 There you go. <laughs> God, I love Woot. UHD, 4K. I'm, I'm bought into that. I, uh, if that's the right term, it's not even the right term. What, well, it's I, UHD, I'll, 4K. Okay. UHD, 4K. What I've seen so far... It, 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 it's solid. It's there. You you know, in the commercial space, we have the devices that can support and, and push the stuff. Yes, everybody's going to argue about the content. What you can't argue about is the quality, the clarity, the how these pictures, they, you know, they look. I thought 1080p was the be-all, end-all. Mm-hmm. From 480p, which I thought was great, or seven, whatever it was with DVD quality, when I first stepped up to 1080, I'm like, can't get any better than this. Holy crap, 4K came along, and last year when we saw that OLED Sony oh, yeah. prototype with mm-hmm. the Ninja security guards that they wouldn't allow you in over at, uh, at Infocom, uh, you know, I, I'm, I wanted to get a side view to see the, the profile of this thing with the OLED, but that's besides the point. When I saw the 4K and to see the metallics being reproduced on the screen, and you can actually see the shine, and the and it, it to me, I was like, all right, this has got to be some sort of trick thing. They're messing with it, you know, can't be for real. After this year, I am convinced 4K is the next generation TV. There's eight models now. By the end of the, by Infocom next year, we will have 16 to 20. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's just that more. It, it's it's the way TVs have been going. It's it, there seems to be a pattern. They came in with 720, 1080 replaced that. They phased out 720, even in sizes. Go find a 32-inch panel. That's gone. 42. The larger sizes have now, you know, the the, the thing to say is 42 is the new 32. There's no 32-inch TVs anymore. If you do, you can find one. It's a high sense, or maybe it's an insignia or something you could buy down at the 7-Eleven, whatever the case is. Those TVs are gone. Now, the 4Ks, they're here to stay, man. Um, we're in it, Tim. 
right. You've got to be all in on this one. Well, yeah, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, just give me an OLED and I'd be fine. Uh, Matt, uh, where are we? Are, are you are you all in on this? Or I know you do primarily control, but you also you know you're you're, you're technologist in general. So are are we are we hitting the the stride and the and the the life of of 4K slash UHD? I think it has a lot more. Um, I think there are a lot more niches that 4K is going to take off quickly in than say 1080 took off in. Hmm. Um, you know, the jump to 1080, I think for a while was rough in a lot of places because it was so costly. But, you know, we're talking about $200,000 displays, but yet Sharp has a model that's what, like $3,500 or $4,000-ish for a 70-inch or something pretty close to that? That's totally reasonable. And, you know, uh, just as Chris pointed out, the content is not an issue if you're not a broadcaster because the content's generated from our computers right now. And so what I'm seeing is, you know, we, we still have some niches, even in, say, the Crestron DM scenario. There's still some holes where 4K doesn't really push through like you're going to need it to. That being said, most of the 4K places that I see it just taken off, they're gonna, you're going to take your source and you're going to go straight into that display. And I think it's going to catch on because there's a real application for at 1080, I see my Excel sheet, I see my data, I see my web page, I see whatever I'm working on with, you know, fine amount of clarity, maybe even too much. Mm -hmm. But at 1080, I can't put two things up on the screen and see the level of clarity I want to see. With 4K, you know, you take a device even like the, uh, the Air Media product that will take four mobile devices and show it all on a screen at one time. Hey, that's really handy, except that the total resolution is at 1080p quality, and we can't see what's in each of those quadrants at a detail level. Well, you produce a 4K version of the same product, put it on a 4K TV. Now we can have multiple data sources up there with the size and, and clarity and intelligibility for all the standard rooms. I think that this is going to take off a lot faster than I had expected it to, say, two months ago. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we've all kind of been joking about this being football, football weekend. That's actually one of the use cases uh, that I've seen a lot is, is, you know, you get a 70, 80, 90-inch uh, 4K and you split up four different, you know, football games. So, uh, Michael, Mr. Shen, where do you stand on, on the whole 4K UHD Oh, you say 4K and I become a schizophrenic. Um, oh. I I think back to uh, I think back to 10 years ago transitioning into the 720 world, which was here for three years. There was 1080i for a day and a half, and then 1080p. 1080p kind of rode the wave of the analog sunset and got everybody to upgrade their displays to 1080p, and everybody has made that investment over the last five years, and now here we have 4K. I mean, you know, that's that's the the one angle of it. The other angle of it, in my opinion, you know, there's no questioning uh, the quality of the of the image. There's no questioning many applications where it would be outstanding and and it's actively is becoming outstanding uh, uh, in its use. Healthcare, manufacturing, certain uh, uh, disciplines in education. Uh, I think it's a matter of time before we see the IMAX theatrical 4K. Uh, you know, experience for moviegoers, uh, which will then transition into uh, the entertainment uh, uh, in the home. My problem isn't so much that I can't find commercial applications uh, for for its use. 
I just don't see the consumers jumping in on board as quickly because we just don't have enough sources to be able to feed these displays. Um, you know, th that content piece is so huge and, and for the consumer world, um, you know, to, for me to justify, to say, you know, that, that, that crazy old uncle that calls up and says, I'm at Best Buy, you know, I need your help, um, you know, they're telling me on 4K, I'm going to say, there's there's no content. There's there's you don't have Warner Brothers hasn't released a you know, 4K film in into theaters yet, and then it's not going to have it on Blu-ray and you know and so on and so forth. Netflix needs to figure out how they're going to be able to deal with it, given what uh, what what the FCC and the federal government are trying to do to uh, to lock down bandwidth. I mean, there's, there's there's just so much that is still unknown. And then then right after I I say all this, I look at an article tomorrow and it's 8K. So I think at Infocom, you know, we're going to have 16 4K displays, and we're going to have three 8K displays yeah. next year, and it's going to be, is this the 1080i, 1080p discussion? So, you know, I'm watching it very closely, and obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about it with our customers, talking about future-proofing and, and thinking about how they're going to handle it. I just, I don't see vision yet, and, I, and I'm not sure exactly what is going to uh, to be the next big leap and whether 4K is that leap or if people just wait until 8K becomes the thing and then jump then because by mm -hmm. then hopefully the content will have caught up. Or at least they'll have 4K content in which case you, know, you can still jump that. So. Uh, all right, Ms. Courtney, right. You, have the, you have the last word on this. Uh, where, where do you guys stand uh, when it comes to the 4K slash UHD? Um, well, I, I think I'd probably have to say a similar thing. If it's not on Amazon or Netflix, if they're not going to stream it, I guess I wouldn't want one myself. Um, but I can see the application in healthcare. If the image is significantly better, and um, there's so much push right now for telehealth, telepresence. Uh, we have in a lot of our hospital situations where the nurse or the doctor, some specialty doctors, are not even at the facility. They're off-site in a remote location. We have health systems that are saying, I need to have the ability to get information to, I have one in town, I have to get information from, you know, 40 miles away to this location because in the event of XYZ situation, I need to have the doctor and the nurse and this specialist look at all this information at the same time. So if it's really that type of clarity, then I can see that it would have some application there. Um, but it's really not even the product from a product perspective. It's not something on my radar in, in, in that sense. So I hate to have the last word on it. Maybe one oh, of you that right. sounded so brilliant talk about it. <laughs> well, it, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, so just I, I thought Mike brought up some good points. Um, so the 4, 4K at one point, I remember people said years ago that when you get 4K resolution and you hold it up at equal distances to a photograph, basically the eye can't perceive the difference. And I think at this point we've kind of, after a lot more evaluation, that's not truly the case. It's really close. So because of that, I think, you know, a, the push for 8K is going to continue to happen. However, if you look at how technologically that occurs, I mean, a 4K signal is like, what, 10 gigs of bandwidth, mm -hmm. I think? So how do you push that on? What's 8 become? 8 becomes like close to 50? Well, we're riding on the, you know, the shoulders of the data industry, right? And those are really, really high data rates. And so I don't think that 8, the 8K decision is going to be made by people as to, you know, what do we want to see? I think the fact that we can relatively do 4K right now, even though there aren't maybe as many products as we want out yet, 4K is 
we're there on our technology, I think that that's probably going to propagate. And I think 8K is going to be a while off because of the data puzzle. Okay, so here, here's here's the monkey in your wrench, right? Um, the fact that that both Tokyo uh, NKO uh, or NRK no NRK is Netherlands, so in yeah, and okay, um, and the South uh, Koreans have both broadcast over the air 8K. So, um, yeah, is it is it uh, cumbersome for the? For the data infrastructure, yeah, absolutely. You can't push. Well, you can push 4K down Twisted Pair, but it's ugly and it's yeah, um, and you're compressing the, the the snot out of it. 8K, you probably can't with it being somewhat viewable. Um, so then you're looking at either fiber or you're looking at at over the air, which which may bring back you know. Um, rabbit, from a consumer's point, yes, you know, accomplishing a, a technological milestone is very different. From yes. making it mass, yes. 4K is you know it's ready to roll out. Yeah, no, yeah, case, that's true. I don't know. So well, let and, me get this. Go let ahead. me get this. Go straight, ahead, Chris. So, like Courtney says, if it's not on on uh, on Amazon or Netflix, I, I don't want to see it. Are we going to credit that the manufacturers of the aforementioned 8K TVs as the reason why the United States is going to finally? step up from copper-based land infrastructure that's out there now or the into fiber? Will Google Fiber become it? Because, you know, that is the fundamental problem here is that 4K is already hard enough to, to pass all that amount of data. It can, but my home network is not set up to handle these serious gigabits of of, of well, if I only want to watch TV and nobody else wants to do anything, that's fine. But we don't live in that world. You know, five iPads, three computers, Netflix streaming, you know, and an angry person in the back who can't get a, you know, bring up Facebook. That'll piss off people. So I don't – We do we need this to jumpstart the infrastructure within this country? Because a lot of these, a lot of these places, the South Koreas and all that, that have built newer infrastructures than ours to support the – the optimums on lines, the cable visions, because you know that those guys are stretching it out as long as they can on that copper wire from 1920. You know, how long can that keep going? But Chris, you're hitting the nail directly on the head, exactly. I mean, you think about it, you have Verizon, you have the Google Fibers, but Comcast is taking their sweet time, Time Warner is taking their sweet time, Cablevision taking their sweet time. And when I think about it, though, I look at the pooled money in, in, in Washington, you know, the lobbyists that are being paid by XYZ manufacturers, and they're, then you compare it to Comcast, Time Warner, and Cablevision, and Cox, and what they're spending in Washington. I think it's going to be a while before we see anybody really push these companies. I don't even think the marketplace is going to be able to push them fast enough to, to put in the infrastructure in a timeline before we get to a point where we have 8K displays everywhere. I, I think I think it's just going to be a massive undertaking that nobody really wants to own up to. Well, I, I said it before. I don't I'll even say have copper in my house. <laughs> I'll say it before, I've said it before, Mike. I'll say it again. Damn the man. <laughs> the man well, is, there's the jersey again. There's That's what jersey. I love. The man is holding us down. That's the problem here. I cannot watch <laughs> Star Wars and 8K in the future because somebody is messing me up. Well, your argument isn't even about 8K if you're talking about the uh, 
the country and not having the infrastructure. I mean, I live rural. I don't have copper to my house. We don't, <laughs> I, I, I have to use, there's this little white panel that sits up and it faces a tower that's miles and miles away and it goes direct. And so we have direct, that's how we get our internet. And we have satellite for TV, but they wouldn't bring the copper down the street to us. But I mean, it was a long I did not know. I had no clue that Kansas City was a third world nation. Oh, jeez. I live outside the city. You have water. Oh, jeez. Stop (laughs) it. We have water, but we don't have sewer. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) The water has no place to go in Kansas City. Jeez. Stop it. Gotta love New Jersey, folks. St. Louis is a little bit more uh, metropolitan. No, no, it's not. That's the thing. It's not. It's it's actually more backwards. Have you been been watching the the, the news lately? What's that? Oh, all right. Let's let's wrap this up. Um, Thank you all so very much. And again, the reason that that you four folks are on is because of this this wonderful magazine right here, Commercial Integrator. All four of you, and actually uh, Courtney, Michael, and Matt are, are kind of on the same two pages together there and mr netto is somewhere in the in the mix um congratulations again uh for making the 40 under 40 list uh from commercial integrator and thanks to commercial integrator for doing it um yes i'm on it and yes i'm at the top but that's again because my last name starts with a not for any other reason so um all right uh mr chris netto av help desk thank you so much for joining us sir Thank you, man. It's always fun. Where uh, where can people find you? Hiding in Jersey. Hiding in Jersey from from Courtney, actually. <laughs> now, outside of hiding in New Jersey, I am uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Chris underscore Neto. I am uh, easy easily found on LinkedIn as well, and uh, all those fun things. Okay. All right. Also with us is Matt Slack from uh, AV Solutions. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having us. It was a pleasure meeting you guys. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Matt C. Slack. And where can people find AV Solutions? Dot com. There you go, avsolutions.com. Uh, also with us is uh, Mr. Mike Shin, IMS Technology Services. Uh, where can people find you, sir? Thank you for having me again. Uh, I am at AXP Mike on Twitter, as well as at IMS underscore SI um, for IMS Technology Services dot com. Okay. LinkedIn and all the social medias. LinkedIn and all the social medias, <laughs> including Google Plus. Including Google Plus. Good for you. Thank there's, you. There's yes. only a handful of us. We got to stick together. Uh, last but not all, least, all Cor- four of us. Cor- Courtney's still here. God bless her. Four people make a network. Yeah. I thought three people made, never mind. Uh, Courtney Govro from All Systems in Kansas City. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And where can people find you or All Systems? All Systems is allsystemsonline.com. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Sphere3CEO. And you can find me on LinkedIn. There's very few Govros, so it's kind of easy. Okay. Very good. Um, actually, there's more Albrights than you'd, su- you'd be surprised. So. At least I was surprised. Uh, don't follow me. Go by the website if you would, please. My twi- tweeters are, are boring. Uh, but AV Nation is, is exciting because there's more than just me that does it. Uh, and that's what kind of makes this thing work. So avnation.tv, avnation.tv, this program, and a host of others. Uh, there's an education-focused show. There's a control and automation-focused show. There's a marketing and live events and projectors and all sorts of stuff. 
Uh, we're getting more and more bloggers every day and week and month, so uh, check that out if you would, please. avnation.tv. avnation.tv, if you're in Cedia uh, next week, uh, or if you're listening to this next week, uh, you're at Cedia this week, uh, come by and say hi. Uh, we'll be uh, at the Cedia booth at 1 o'clock Mountain doing this very show, and uh, at 4 o'clock Mountain to 6 o'clock uh, hosting the uh, AV Tweeps tweet-up. So thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. This has been AV Week. <laughs>